If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today, I'm excited to talk with Martina Naradova from Czech Republic. I had the privilege of meeting Martina at the Western Canada Fundraising Conference, where we were both speakers, I think it was several weeks ago. Martina has been involved in individual fundraising since 2015, when she became part of the Amnesty International fundraising team. She has worked in telefundraising as a frontline caller and progressed to the in-house team to serve as a donor care team coordinator. Now she's engaged as a freelance consultant with several organizations, including Save Food, where she has been leading a project to develop their donor database, and with Animal Freedom, where she leads a telefundraising team. In addition, she helps organizations develop donor journeys to deepen engagement and loads more. Martina is also part of the executive board of the Coalition for Easy Giving, where she participates in the networking of fundraising know-how from leading Czech nonprofit organizations. Martina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Tammy. It's really nice to be here, and I'm really honored today to be here with you. So thank you. It's really our pleasure. We have a lot to learn from you. I was reading a study, a study from the Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University, and they were saying that telefundraising can be particularly effective in reaching older donors who may be more responsive to phone calls. And then another study by the Association of Fundraising Professionals found that telefundraising can lead to higher donor retention rates compared to other kinds of methods. How have you found telefundraising to be effective in raising money and retaining donors? And maybe talk about the stereotypes or preconceived beliefs associated with telefundraising. Okay, so I really believe and I really know that telefundraising can be effective and very effective in a good combination of uh, fundraising goals and donor journeys and so on. Uh, so when you have, for example, one internal call, caller, uh, the return of investment, it can be about six to eight months. Uh, when I count on also training, feedbacks, and our of uh, coordinator, for example. And uh, when the aim of calling is to have monthly donors. And from that point, when the caller it pays back and it started to earn money for the organization, it started to be really interesting because you pay him the smaller amount than he earns at the end. So it started to be really effective because if you take care of the nurse a bit, they often last with organization between five or till seven years. So yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting that, that the callers, when they last with you also, and when uh, you take care about them and support them, 
you can have really nice money from the fundraising. And it's also the rule that you can just hire one person and throw him or her into the water and let them swim <laughs> because it's just chick saying, I'm not, I'm not sure if uh, <laughs> you understand what I mean, but yeah, we, we have that okay. saying as okay. well, just like, just <laughs> throw them in the water and they'll swim. Okay, yeah. So let me give an, an example. I actively called in Amnesty International and I called play for four years, uh, mostly acquisition. So I was converting prospect to monthly donations and the donors, the last with us. When I was coordinator, donor care coordinator after, it was also four years in Amnesty, another four years. And uh, when I got, when I got sad, I just did my report because I was, it was a quite big amount of money from the donors who I convinced to give monthly donation and they still send money after four years when I stopped calling. And it was about uh, something about uh, 2,300 American dollars still after four years. So it was... At that time, it was much, wow. much more than my salary was. So I just said to my, myself, at least you are effective. You know, you, you don't cost the organization a lot of money because I just pay them back. Yeah, you more than paid for yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I hope that some, of, so some of my donors still pay for Amnesty, even I'm not here anymore. In Amnesty International. I hope they have stayed on and continue <laughs> giving. I mean, Amnesty International is an incredible organization. Oh, yeah. So let me get this straight. You are calling for acquisition. You're calling people who have not been giving to mm -hmm. Amnesty. And you were getting them to sign up to be a monthly recurring donor. Yes. Yeah. That was my mission. Yeah, because there's a belief here in the mm -hmm. U.S. that somehow for some reason that donors for acquisition, that donors will make a one-time gift first. Mm -hmm. And then our goal is to upgrade them over time to a monthly reoccurring. Mm -hmm. But what you're telling me is in the work that you did with Amnesty, you could go straight yeah. from, hi, nice to meet you, yeah. to a recurring mm -hmm. gift and that you're keeping them for five to seven years. Yep. That's extraordinary. Let me ask you this. I feel like Maybe Czechs are just friendlier, nicer people than we are in the U.S. That, I mean, that could be. But I can tell you sometimes when we get those calls from nonprofit organizations, sometimes we're not very nice. Mm -hmm. We're suspicious. Is this a scam? Is this really a nonprofit organization? Gosh, how did you get my number? Oh, yeah. Did you encounter resistance? And how do you deal with that kind of resistance and still keep smiling and dialing? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's very hard because I would say the most important thing for a caller is strong mindset and have energy and have same share, shared values with NGO and the same, same beliefs, you know. So that's the one very important thing when you have internal team. And so it's, it's very, <laughs> very often that you hire people with, with same beliefs. 
that they have the same goals as your NGO. So after this, it's easier. And when you deal with people, you know, you have to understand. You have to have empathy because telephone raising or phone, the most interruptive medium you can just imagine because we are just glued to our telephones. We have still with us the, our phone. And sometimes it's not the right, right time sometimes because people are dealing with some work thing, with some meetings or are cooking or are in the middle of some argument with a partner, for example. So it's very, yeah, <laughs> sure. it's very important for caller to judge or to be patient to the situation in a call and feel it's the right or ask <laughs> when the feeling from the call is not right, just stop it. Because I also take care about the callers <laughs> and I want them mm. to feel good during their work. So when the call is it's not okay at the moment, so just caller can stop it and say, hey, uh, I feel that it's not the right time for this conversation. Can I call you in a better time? So that's one reason because you know, the telemarketers are often like to push to have as many calls as possible in hour. And in non-profit calling, I would say it doesn't have to be so high number because the donors will last with, with us. If the goal is monthly donation. So it's normal that the internal caller has around three conversations in an hour. And the twenty mm-hmm. percent of calls are successful, so ended up with real donation, with real monthly donation. So yeah, and that's the number from acquisition calling to only like prospects or leads. We call people who just signed the petition in MSD, and we also needed to fight with our stereotypes because we were afraid to call people which are just while with us, just the short amount of time. So we wait for people to sign for petitions <laughs> and after we call them. But during the times, we started to feel, okay, let's try uh, the third petition once. And after we just skip to people who just signed the petition recently and uh, the rates were the same. You know, it just, yeah, it's just evolution. <laughs> I don't know. So. Yeah. I love that there is a system and there are specific measurements that trigger action. So it's very repeatable. And again, you can begin to forecast based on that repeatability. So again, you're calling really cold calls to people. They're not quite cold, cold because they've signed a petition mm-hmm. and they've signed a petition at least four times before they get a phone call. And it sounds like you really do a great job of training your telefundraisers to have empathy, to have patience, to care about the person they're calling. And when they do get that occasional grumpy person who, who might be having a bad day or it's bad timing or, you know, maybe they're dealing with a sick child, yeah, who knows? Yeah, sure. Like we all have stuff is that what kind of galvanizes them 
is like this love of amnesty or the love for this organization that kind of galvanizes me to keep calling and to not get discouraged. Yeah. So I, I love that. Yeah, I think it's, I agree. and the fact that you said you can statistically three conversations an hour yes. and 20% of them mm -hmm. will become a monthly recurring donor. Mm -hmm. So that 20% conversion is from the three conversations you have an mm -hmm. hour, not the 20 voicemails that oh, you yeah. left. Yeah, for sure. So from your experience, what is the key to success with telefundraising and what should we avoid? I would say the key thing is to also not just do it in some office when nobody can see you, but also like to promote your work and your successes inside the organization. Because we as a fundraiser often deal with some question, what are you doing there? And it's yeah. sometimes happened that CEO doesn't or don't believe to your work or want to control you and so on. So the one of the most important advice is to also sell your work inside the organization and show the results because you have to have your colleagues on board. It's very important thing because, you know, telemarketing, telephone raising is very connected with lead generation. So with some activities of PR, of organization, of appearance online, if you are seen, if you are getting bigger, if, you're, if you have more and more prospects and more and more people to support you. So it's very often a problem that also in Czech Republic, in small NGOs, they start to do tele telephone raising. And after half a year, they lack contact. And they didn't think about, yeah, we need more contacts. What should we do? You know, so yeah, that's, that's the whole system of gaining new leads and doing telephone mm -hmm. raising. It's a really important point. I mean, at some point, you could easily exhaust your prospect mm -hmm. list. And so to continue the marketing piece, whether it's signing petitions or inviting people to sign up for newsletters or engage in social media uh, in some way to share their contact information with you, it really is that and mm -hmm. strategy. Keep the pipeline full. Keep doing the calls. And show your work, oh, yeah. celebrate those successes. Oh yeah, and and the conversions. Yeah, yeah. and maybe maybe really good. Sorry, maybe just small addition. Just watch the numbers, do reports. It's very important because you can be lucky and hire really good team, really good callers at the first job, but it's often necessary to. I don't know, work very hard on, on the calls, on the, on the cooperation with the callers. Yeah. So watch the numbers. So that's why I'm clarifying these numbers and really take care about them, <laughs> about the callers, because it's, it's kind of unique combination because you need to be really brave to call people because it's, it's hard. You can see them. No one, no one likes calling. 
I would say. A lot of people are just too shy or just, I don't know, can see the other people's face or reaction or body language. So it's it's really hard to to make conversation also with someone who you don't know. But the important thing for caller to know is that they have something in common. That's the support of the same organization where he or she is sitting in or calling for. So that that's the point where, where it, it gets easier for both sides, you know, and the strong mindset and yeah, the fall, as we said before, uh, when some call is not, it's not right or it's, it doesn't feel right to call. It's often not because of the caller. It's often that the people, the person is dealing with something or just don't have a day. You know, it happens. It happens. So give it another shot. It, yeah. So if it happens to us, it happens to everyone, oh, yeah. right? Some days we just have an off day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it really would take a lot of courage and a lot of confidence to, I mean, it, to call strangers and ask for money, ask for support. I mean, those of us who do traditional donor development, face-to-face donor development, it's hard for us to ask for money sometimes. And we have a relationship. We know the people. <laughs> so I just really acknowledge the courage and the confidence it takes for telefundraising. Yeah. Martina, do you know how big is the telefundraising market? And I wonder if we're missing a big opportunity here in, in the U.S., if we aren't using this fundraising channel? It's really hard to say how big it is. In Czech, it's growing. As far as I know, the big international NGOs in terms of Europe and UK, they are often using or implementing telefundraising as channel for donor care, but also for acquisition of new donors. Let's say I just know about Amnesty International, about UNICEF, Greenpeace, but some Western European countries prefer to do face-to-face fundraising more. You know, the face-to-face, just go to the street and ask, call contacts, call people which they who never heard about this organization if they do take care about or are interested about human rights and so on. So it's really hard for this region, I would say, because um, face-to-face uh, here, it wasn't, it wasn't ever so successful as in Western European countries. Maybe it, because we have kind of, we, it's, it's said that Czechs have hard shells. It's not typical to be so open in public. <laughs> Maybe our mentality is different. That's maybe one of the reasons why telephone raising to warm leads works better. I don't know. I don't know. I also heard that this fundraising tool is not so typical in Canada, maybe as you said, also in America. So yeah, I would say it's blank space in the market. And I would also add that it's not so hard. You know, you have to find right people to do it train them well or have a mentor for it and it's not so hard it's just about pick up the phone and try it because you know in history in my 
fundraising history in Amnesty, I was testing animals for everything. Because we just started when I came into the office before I did face-to-face. So it was really, really precious thing to to meet uh, people in the streets. Yeah, it was hard, but it learned me a lot of things. To not be afraid, for example. And when I got into the office, yeah. I started to call. But we don't have script. We want to say people everything we achieve. For example, about Nobel Prize. And I don't know, at least three successes. And so we just basically try to be in full line. It didn't work. So I tried something else and then something else. So it was a long process of trying new things. And at the end, we just, we just ask people about what is their topic, why they sign a petition. And it's, it's really simple. It's so simple. Just ask people about their values, about their beliefs. So have a conversation as we have right here. So ask them, ask them why, why they are interested or why they are just angry about something because it's also emotion that drives the change. People just stood up and do something. So it's same with monthly donation and with telephone raising. Yeah. I love that. I love that, you know, when you can get them on the phone, it, because they've signed a petition, you're right. They either are inspired by something or they're angry about something and they want to make a change. And so to have a dialogue about that and to understand and for them to be heard. And, and maybe that's one of the reasons that telefundraising works so well with an older demographic. Maybe folks who feel more isolated and they don't talk to people as often as people who are in the working world and have those social interactions. So I just find that so interesting. And I know in the U.S., many of the organizations that do telefundraising outsource it. (laughs) And the firms that are soliciting the gifts keep a significant portion of the donation. And so I think that that's also given telefundraising a bad reputation here in the U.S., People think, oh, I, I remember first seeing it on the news and then getting those calls. And I would say, are you employed by this organization or are you a vendor? Are you calling on behalf of them? How much of every dollar goes to you versus the nonprofit organization? And I'm sure they're thinking, oh, no, I, I called the wrong lady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I do wonder if more of us could find the courage and devote staff time to smiling and dialing, to creating those scripts, to build that resilience, that empathy, all the things that you're telling us are required to really make this work. If we were to invest in our own resources with, again, as you said, staff members who are so passionate about the work we do, who could tell stories on the phone. And I want to ask you about storytelling too. Maybe we would be more successful in acquisition or even calling one-time donors at lower gift values and inviting them to consider becoming a monthly donor or calling volunteers, more of a warm acquisition. So calling people who have generously given their time 
but have not made a financial contribution to the organization. I think there's opportunity that we're just not maximizing. And I acknowledge it's tough. When you're working with a client and they really want to work on retention of first-time donors who gave to that telefundraising campaign, what do you suggest? How should they go about retaining those first-time donors from your point of view? One of the first things I would recommend is to don't wait too long after the first donation because it's often that NGOs are a bit scared to ask for more and they often wait a year or half a year or a couple of months and that's right. I would recommend just after first donation, I think it's every, everyone does it. I hope so. Thank them. You know, send really nice email. Yeah, I, I, I think it's automatic right now. But don't wait with second ask too long. Maybe send second mail and third one with donation button. And after, call and ask. Ask why they did the first donation. Speak with them about their beliefs, about them. I, when I train new callers, I always say them, the call shouldn't be about you or about the organization. It should be about the donor. Because when this person just say loudly what they believe, what they want, what change do they want to see in our planet? It's really yeah. motivating when the person just hear it <laughs> and after the caller just have easy work, the caller just can say it again and ask for donation. Yeah. And it's not yes. so hard when the person is willing to answer the question when it's willing to, you know, have a conversation. And if not, it's not maybe the right time. No, maybe next time. You never know. After a donor has given that first mm -hmm. gift, you say, don't wait too long. And I know a lot of organizations will wait a year. How long do you recommend organ organizations wait before asking again? Four weeks? Six weeks? What do you think? I I don't know the, the universal truth. I don't know every single donor because different NGOs have different donors. So I just can't know them all. So try six weeks, but maybe yeah. you can try four weeks. And in one of my long-term cooperation in Animal Freedom Organization in Czech Republic, it's a small NGO. And they just, they are crazy. They have uh, five times more monthly donors than they have two years before. They just really squared it out. Wow. Yeah. And they call them imme immediately. It takes a couple of days so they you call know, them to process the prospect and to have some caller at work to call them, but they do it immediately and the results are quite similar with organizations who wait month or two or three. So, yeah. Amazing. 
So talk about the role of stories. What, what role do stories play in telefundraising or in the work that you do? It's um, really important also as in online to tell the story, show the effect you had in the world, show the result of your work. And by story, it's really important and a really nice, nice way how to evoke some emotion during the call. I say to uh, my organization where I uh, consult that when the call can be about the person, the prospect or donor, I often say donor because I want to see what I want to in real life, you know. I just I just see the prospect as a donor already. I often yeah. call it it's almost as if you're manifesting that they will become oh, yeah. a donor. So let's just start by calling them that. Yeah. When a conversation with, with donors Love it. with donors can be about them because they don't want to talk about um, their feelings and they believe so much. Now you have in your pocket storytelling. <laughs> It really works when the person don't want to talk with you. You just can use storytelling and it's really nice way. And we spoke a bit about um, external call centers. They can do great job, but they are more expensive and you just need to watch more about the numbers and also about the quality of calls. It's really an issue because when you have people and they often don't know much about the organization and don't have strong beliefs. I'm trying always to watch about these things and trying to hire also for cooperation in external team people who want to do it. You know, who do care about animal rights or human rights and so on. But it's sometimes it's hard to achieve. And you can just can tell the coordinator of external team, hey, I want this lady. <laughs> it's not it's not possible often. But you can have also storytelling in call scripts. Because we work with some external call center as well. And I just wrote short, very mm-hmm. short storytelling into the script. So the call sounds much more better. <laughs> So when you can incorporate the story into the script, even if it's a call center, it's not an employee who is directly affiliated with the NGO, the nonprofit, they don't necessarily have that passion. You kind of can write that passion in to some degree. Yeah, it's really good. So last official question, what do you tell your clients who might want to start up or maybe even pilot a telefundraising program? How should they get started? Do the numbers. Or maybe do the numbers. Or maybe it's a math game. Yeah, because you need to show your CEO something. When you need to have some investment to telefundraising, you need to do the counting. And maybe before you do it, to ask, mentor or people who know, who have some uh, experiences with telephone raising. And that's the reason why I really like cooperation among NGOs in Czech Republic, especially at the 
uh, platform Coalition for Easy Giving, and they share mm-hmm. the organization which are just inside the coalition. It's like safe space, and they share the numbers. The numbers, as I said, the conver- conversion rate and uh, amount of calls in, in one hour and different campaigns results, they are willing to share among themselves. So it's really nice when you just can get some information and paint the vision or the cost and do it more. All right. So, Martina, at the end of each episode, I'd like to ask a few rapid fire questions to get even more value for our listeners. And the first question is, what's the best fundraising advice you've ever received? It was the recent one, and then it was that the good fundraiser was at least once fired from the war. I love yeah. that. A good fundraiser has been fired at least once. Yeah. Because fundraisers shouldn't be scared, and sometimes isn't very well accepted, you know, because you dare. You dare to do something and try something and just show the numbers. Yeah. But to be brave, to be entrepreneurial, to kind of push the boundaries, absolutely. We do need to be courageous to be fundraisers. Martina, what book do you recommend to our audience and why? Uh, Recently, I just read a short book. It's from Austin Kleon. It's an illustrated book about creativity in the digital age. It's just really fun and nice book. And it's... It's called Show Your Work. And I think... Show Your yeah, Work. Show Your Work. And it should be read by every fundraiser, I would say. Beautiful. What's your favorite fundraising application or tool? Oh, I would say it's check one. It's darwimet.cz. And it's a portal for managing donations and uh, creating collections. And it really helps make it easier for new NGOs or small-sized NGOs to start with fundraising because you don't need to have payment gateway. And it's it's really Mm, nice. nice. They are trying to also do some education and they started some courses and so on. So I really like this portal. Yeah, sounds great. What's your favorite conference and why? Oh, yeah. My favorite conference is Central and Eastern European Conference. And it's held in Bratislava in Slovakia. I know the organizers, (laughs) the people who just make it happen. And uh, one of them, Eduard Marček, he's also, he also works with Tony Myers on a leadership program called Leaders of Tomorrow, which I was part before. And this program is really life-changing and I really admire work of these two individuals and they are really great fundraisers. And I, I am really thankful to this program because it, motivates me to end my journey in Amnesty International because I was here eight years 
And I started to consult more and I'm on my way to learn more, to learn every day. And yeah, so I would say this conference, but also recently we met at the Western Canadian fundraising conference and I also met many, many great people and also David Kravinchuk, the organizer of this conference, he is really great. So I'm really, really flattered that I can be here. I had a chance to be here. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So last question. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just starting out in the profession? Be proud. Tell people about your achievements. Mm. And don't be afraid to ask for help. Let your CEO to pay for some trainings, for some education, because if you don't ask, you often got nothing. It's same with donors. Yeah. Don't ask, don't get. Love it. Thank you so much, Martina. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Martina, her incredible work, or to follow her on social media, we've included links to her handles in the show notes, as well as links to the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a fundraising transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of $27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com slash growth. Talk soon.